I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is James Swigert, author and motivational speaker. His new book is If You Say So. Due to familiar dysfunction, the holiday season can be extremely stressful. Old dynamics can be triggering. While some may chalk these feelings up to the holiday blues, 64% of people with mental illness report holidays make their conditions worse. James Swigert explains how to create healthy boundaries for ourselves this holiday season. Over the past 25 years, he's built, run, and sold several multi-million dollar award-winning production companies. He's a storyteller who was able to understand that how he was telling his own story and the power behind his words could shape his life. Having survived addiction, depression, homelessness, suicide, and molestation, he's now teaching others through his work as a mentor, motivational speaker, and life cheerleader. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you here today. Well, thank you very much for having me. Happy to be here. So first question, James, is uh, how are you going to do that? I know the statistics are, as you describe them, during the holiday season, what, from Thanksgiving to New Year's, anxiety, depression, stress, more people suffer from that, and even suicide. So how do you mitigate that? I know, uh, let, let's talk about that. Obviously, that's what your book is about. But um, so how do you do sure. it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, and uh, it, it is. You know, uh, uh, we we actually refer to it as the Bermuda Triangle, where you've got Thanksgiving, you know, Christmas or Hanukkah and New Year's. You know, <laughs> it's uh, it's it, we're kind of entering that zone. And I think that uh, for me, and this is why I wrote the book. It's for me, it was really about uh, r- realizing that I had stories that I had been telling myself about that time of year. Uh, based on actual events that happened uh, when I was younger. And essentially what, what, what I was doing is I was telling myself lies. Uh, a lot of the stories that I was looping in my head uh, well into adulthood, long after those events had occurred, uh, I was keeping those thoughts and feelings alive uh, by telling, me, telling myself stories um, that I hate the holidays. And I would, that would actually come out of my mouth that I hate the holidays. Holidays are so stressful. And, and when I'm saying those things, it really starts with what's coming out of my mouth because I'm then setting the tone. Uh, I'm manifesting my own reality with the words that I choose. And so the first thing I have to do is I have to stop how I'm framing this time of year. And it's actually a really wonderful time of year where we get to connect with others. Um, I think what it does is it, it comes down to, um, as you mentioned earlier, about setting healthy boundaries. It's like, who am I connecting with, you know, and how am I doing that? So I really have to start with how I'm speaking about it, because if if I am, you know, because it's really the universe will give you whatever story you tell it. And if you're going to tell a horror story, <laughs> there you go. And And we all know those people who... Are, you know, their cell phone screen is shattered and they're late to work and the car is always broken down and we're never going to make it and they never make it. And, and you watch the stories they tell and you watch the things that come out of their mouth. And oftentimes it's starting with that. So are you <laughs> saying, so James, wanna, that it's, are you saying that yeah. it's like, it, it's a setup. It's a, you set yourself up. Your expectations are that it's going to be horrible. You tell your, that's the narrative. You tell that story and that's what happens. It is horrible because you don't make good choices, I would assume, either, if that's your expectations can be terrible. Um, and, but it's our, it's, we're creating our own horrible holiday and, but we have choices so that, that we have to 
recreate the narrative. That's what you're saying, right? Exactly. And you just, you just hit the nail on the head. We have the choice. And, and for a long time, I didn't know I had a choice. You know, I just thought I was a victim of circumstance and that that was the way it was always going to be because that's the way it, it had always been, right? I had evidence. But the problem was <laughs> that, that I was keeping that story alive. And, um, you know, uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge follower and fan of Don Miguel Ruiz of the Four Agreements. And his first of the Four Agreements is be impeccable with your word. Never speak against yourself or others and always speak in the direction of truth and love. And when I, you know, I came from a family that grew up on Mad Magazine. So we were very cynical and sarcastic and, you know, being the youngest of 12, you know, there's the, everyone was really good with, with, with jabbing people verbally and that sort of thing and just being really hurtful and mean. And, 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 and that language entered my head and I would speak to myself that way. I would, I would be so hard on my, you know, nobody's harder on me than I am. Yeah, but and, I, I want to stop you know, there because a family of 12, yeah. I, I, I'm not going to let that go. Mm. How did, uh, yeah, <laughs> surviving in a family of 12, how did you do that? Uh, uh, take us back because obviously that colored your expectations as you're talking about for yourself and for, obviously for the holidays too. But brothers, sisters, parents were there or not? Or talk to us about that. Sure. Uh, I was the born the youngest of seven children uh, from my mother and my father, and there were uh, six boys and one girl. And I was the I was about six years from my sister, who was the next oldest sibling. So I wasn't really part of the plan. Uh, and if um, you know, just after I was born, my father left my mother for another woman. So my, we were you know a single mother with seven children, six boys and a girl, and then. Uh, about six or seven years later, she remarried uh, another man who brought five more kids to the to the show, <laughs> and so uh, and that was four boys and a girl. So there, all in all, there were ten boys and two girls, and uh, so there were fourteen people who were moving into a three bedroom house, which was kind of crazy. And and uh, yeah, pandemonium ensued, <laughs> and, and uh, you know there was just a lot of you know with a merger like that, as you can imagine, there was a lot of dysfunction. Everyone acting out. Um, you know, I had kind of gotten abandoned, if you will, left, you know, um, in, in my book, in the book, I talk about being left at a gas station and the family, not even knowing that I wasn't in the station wagon as about a, a five-year-old boy and they had driven away and, and, uh, the, the gas station attendant had to call the CHP to pull over the car to tell them that they had forgotten the kid. Uh, so it was that kind of thing, you know, it was a little bit of herding cats. And, and, um, um, so as a result, uh, you know, you just, two parents cannot properly distribute the sufficient amount of love and nurturing across 12 kids. It was, everybody was on survival mode. You know, um, times were hard, money was tight, obviously. And, uh, um, you know, so you're going to have, you're going to have people not getting what they need in that scenario. And so, um, as a result, you know, Christmas wasn't about, you know, receiving a lot of gifts. Essentially, you had a, you had a, uh, Somebody who was giving, you know, we would draw names out of a hat and you would pick a person and get that person a gift because there just wasn't enough for everyone to get gifts. Um, so it was that type of scenario and, and, and just kind of living in this place of scarcity and lack and, you know, just by and surviving. And, and so because the holidays had been so strained, especially financially for my parents, um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't as enjoyable of a, of a, you know, it appeared that everyone else was, was, was having a Merry Christmas or in Happy Hanukkahs and all of that. And, and, and kind of knowing inside of our home, you know, we were, we weren't, uh, 
we weren't we didn't have a lot of money and and uh you know we grew our own vegetables and in order to feed ourselves and we collected cans bottles and newspapers constantly and we all had paper routes and jobs and <clears throat> all started working at about 10 and so it was um you know my perception was that we were poor you know and and so that was this this kind of idea that i lived with about the holidays so um you know even when those circumstances actually yeah when this circumstances the real circumstances or the reality of your circumstances didn't exist you weren't living with 12 or 11 siblings right um but the emotional stuff was still there i mean how did you get out of that how did you first of all how did you survive it and second of all how did you detach yourself from just the chaos uh, to be able to go to school, graduate, and uh, well, I, I read your bio and do all the kinds of things and the you know the achievements that you've been able to accomplish. So how did how did you do that? I it, it, at first it was you know the way I coped. I mean, I found drugs and alcohol when I was twelve years old, and that was my medicine. That was my survival uh, uh, mechanism through um, you know through until I got thrown out of the house and and. Uh, um, you know, that's how I coped. And then also my art, I would escape into my art and, you know, drawing and sketching is, is really something I was drawn to at a very early age. So I knew I was a, I was a creative mind. And so that helped me kind of escape some of the insanity, uh, in the house and, and, you know, some of the violence and the constant conflict when you've got that many people living in a small space, obviously there's a lot of friction. And, and so I, I, you know, my thing was to kind of hide out and lay low and, and then when I found, you know, drugs and alcohol, and, and then I escaped into that. Um, but then, you know, once once I was thrown out of the house and trying to learn how to survive out in the world while uh, um, while suffering from addiction uh, uh, with alcohol and drugs, and eventually homelessness and depression, and then I, had, you know, attempted suicide at 25. So so I didn't I didn't cope <laughs> very well. Uh, it was about how I was just kind of surviving uh, through that. Um, but and what about it, your siblings? Was there any one of your siblings that was able to that was supportive? I mean, out of all those, because that's a lot of people that and that yeah. you know that you, yeah yeah I, it, there there were yes my, there were uh, there were certain siblings, but they were all so much older that they were moving on and they had lives and they were going to college and and so I was a little bit uh, kind of left behind uh, and um, so. You know, I would, I, I, my imagination was my best friend, escaping into my imagination through my art, uh, through painting and drawing. And, um, and, 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 and also too, I was, I was kind of one of those people that learned very early on how to hide out in plain sight. Right. And so there were plenty of people around, but I felt very alone. And I'm sure there's plenty of people listening who can relate to that. And that's, that's kind of bringing that back to the holidays. Um, you know, what I had to ultimately do, the big shift for me was at 25 when I had some, some incredible men and women find me, um, after my uh, suicide attempt and pick me up and dust me off. And at that point I made a decision to be clean and sober. Uh, and, um, and, and I've been clean and sober now for 30 years. And as a result of, uh, it took a while for the dust to kind of clear out of my head and for me to start to kind of employ certain tools, uh, one of which is changing my story, changing how I was, you know, because I would, I, I constantly felt unlovable and broken 
and uh, alone and, you know, uh, I'm always sick. That was another thing that would come out of my mouth because I dealt with a lot of uh, intestinal problems, gastrointestinal problems, as well as sinus problems, which are the kind of the two things that come out of dysfunctional families and abusive families are asthma and ulcerative colitis. And I had both. And so, um, you know, I struggled with my health issues and, 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 and again, felt broken. Um, and I'm sure there's people um, dealing with health issues that are listening that, that can relate to that. You're just like, God, I'm always sick. And I would say that out loud. And, and, and if you say so, you, you know, I was always sick. And, and, and so what I do now is, is after being able to change my story and really kind of not only just, just stay clean and sober and get by, you know, I, I tapped into a, a, a power and energy and a way of life that has helped me to not only just get by, but to actually become amazing and, and, and be successful and be fulfilled and be happy. Uh, and, and, and I believe that's what the universe wants for us. We're not here to just get by. We're here to, to, we're here to clear out the mess, get flat with the universe so that we can move forward and, 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 and go be uh, our best selves. And, and, you know, it's, it's sometimes when we're looking on social media, we can start to compare ourselves to other people, right? And it looks like everyone else. Uh, you know, it's, it has an amazing life when we're sitting at home alone on the computer, you know, lurking on social media. And it's just, you know, it's just not the reality, you know, and, and that's another story that we get caught up in. And, and, you know, what I tell people that I'm coaching is whenever we compare ourselves to anyone else, we lose every time. You know, I just cannot get in that game of comparing myself because I will lose every time, whether I'm looking down or looking up, I, I will lose every time. So. Why do you think it's so but difficult? Because that, 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 I mean, I think you that hit the nail on the head. I think all of us do that, as you say, either looking up or looking down. And now, of course, with social media, it's almost impossible not to do that. How do we not do that? I mean, you say don't do it, but in in reality, in, in, in actuality, yeah. stay away from you, that. It doesn't. You're you know, right. Yeah, 100% right. <laughs> Easier said than done, right? And I think that this is where what what happened for me at 25 was it. Uh, this, this, this being so down and destitute and wanting to take my own life, the desperation created this opening and it was a vacuum. And that was, uh, you know, I was raised Catholic in that large family, uh, but I had my own issues with the Catholic church. I didn't agree that they wouldn't let, because my father left my mother, she wasn't able to go. And, and the Catholic church is very important to my mother. And when my father left her, she wasn't able to go receive Holy Communion. And I was like, wait a minute, that wasn't her fault. This guy left. You know, and they wouldn't, because she was divorced, she wasn't allowed to receive communion, which was really important to her. And I was like, this is ridiculous. You know, and, and, and the number of other things we could go on. There's a litany of things that are my issues. And so while I believed in something, uh, some sort of, you know, great spirit of the universe, I wasn't sure how to tap into that or how to, how to kind of nurture that relationship. And so at 25, these men and women that helped me, they really, uh, I was able to kind of, uh, open my heart and mind to accept spirituality into my life, you know, and these, these people were, there were Christians in there and there were Jews in there and all these different people, but they all believed in this single idea of a spiritual being that was about love, compassion, forgiveness, service. Uh, it was a just, it was a just, and I, and I, and I tapped into this so I, I didn't get caught up in the politics of, of spirituality, which is what I think kind of religion tends to be. I really tapped into, okay, what are these Jewish people and these Christian people and these Muslims, what are they all really looking at? And so rising above religion 
to me is the spirituality. And that's, you know, I told somebody one day, I said, we're all, I was trying to explain this concept. I said, we're all looking through different windows at the same sun. And ultimately it was tapping into, you know, in, in, in Jerry and Esther Hicks, they just talk about it, about source energy, right? It's that, it's the, it's the energy of the universe. It's what connects you and I and your listeners. It's what connects all of us, right? There are atoms and molecules flowing between all of us, no matter where you are in the world or in the universe. And it's energy changing form constantly. And, 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 and I was able to kind of tap into that energy. And, 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 you know, as I said to someone, I said, when you take a step in the direction of, of, of love and goodness, the universe will start to get behind you and move you forward. You know, that, that the obstacles in front of us are never greater than the power behind us when we're tapped into spirituality, because that's what connects us. And, you know, I, I think to be truly spiritual is, is to not be divisive, but to be inclusive. And so, um, I think, you know, so that's what I had to do. I had to really tap in that because, like you said, it's easier said than done. But it has to start with, with the words. It has to start with how I'm, you know, speaking about myself. And e- even people I work with with cancer, you know, I, I tell them, I said, stop saying my tumor and my cancer. You know, you got to change the language because it's like if you say so, that's going to be yours forever. So you stop saying that. You know, and what and do you it's, say? It's, 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 it's if you're not saying my tumor and my, yeah, that's a good example. So if you're not saying this is my, a, you know, a, my t- a, yeah, it's a tumor that can leave because tumors do leave, mm-hmm. right? It's a tumor. When you're saying my tumor, you're just you're taking an ownership of that that you are in possession of that and thus not really able to let it go. Because when I stopped saying I have chronic ulcerative colitis, when I was not in uh, a flare-up, that's not serving me. That's not serving me at all. And so what I had to do is I had to change the language that I used to suffer from ulcerative colitis. I used to suffer from asthma attacks. And as a result, I haven't had, I just, as a result of that in healthy living, there's a lot more to it, right? But as a result of that, uh, changing and framing that in my mind, uh, it's in the rearview mirror. It's not something that I'm keeping present. You know, um, so language is critical. That, uh, it, yeah, how we define things is which what we're talking about, changing the narrative. You really have to be aware, right? I mean, you have to be aware of how you say it and the impact that it has. I, I mean, I think that cancer example is really a good one. So that's how you begin to change the narrative, I assume, right? I mean, it doesn't happen overnight, um, and then that begins no, to change. No, it doesn't happen overnight. You're, you're exactly right. It does not happen overnight, and that's why I wrote this book. It's a very simplified way, even just the title itself. A friend of mine, uh, when he read the book, and he's like, I love that title. That's amazing. He called me a week after he read the book. He goes, I've used that line on myself five times this week (laughs) because he caught himself in old stories. And so it's a very, very simple vernacular to be able to, to, um, you know, and this isn't, not everyone is ready for this, right, to be able to. Uh, a pivot and, and, and watch their own conversations, right? Not everyone, some people are just completely believe everything they think. Uh, and, and I think we can see who those people are. So what I did is I, I tried to really boil this down to its simplest form so that, so that people can understand, as you said, indicated at the beginning of the show, that you have a choice, right? You have a choice. You can, you can, you're, you know, you can have a, have a negative narrative and, and, and let that dictate how you feel and what you think and where you go. Or, you know, conversely, you might as well turn that into a positive story 
right? Because there's just as much of a chance of it turning out swimmingly. Because the power of the spoken word is, is there's so much power in it. I mean, if you think about it, Adolf Hitler almost exterminated a race of people using the power of the spoken word for the negative and for hate. That's huge. You know, it's interesting you should say so that because you're know, giving that example because of 180 from that. I was in Boston this weekend and I went to the JFK Library and Museum, which I hadn't been to for some reason. And I spent a lot of time in Boston in the past. Anyway, I spent three hours mm-hmm. there and the power of, and there are so there's many, many videos of his speeches, which I don't really remember. I was young. I was, you know, young then. So I didn't really listen to him. And of course, in the same way I'm going to now and the power of his words, I, it just struck me, and it, as you're saying this, um, he was able to tr- transform so many lives and people in a, such a very short time in a very positive way, the opposite, obviously, of a- Adolf Hitler. But anyway. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Just Dr. another Martin example. Luther King. I mean, yeah. if you go to Ebenezer Baptist Church in, uh, in Atlanta, you know, they play his recordings of some of his sermons. And you sit in that church and his voice echoing in there and his words, I mean, again, just so spiritual and so inclusive and so powerful. And, and yes, so, you know, conversely, imagine what we can do if, in, in the way of, of, of truth and love and goodness and positivity. And that's how powerful it is. And so, so you know, one, you know, as I mentioned earlier, no one's harder on me than I am. And so one time I was beating myself up and I called a friend of mine trying to get out of this funk. And he said, James, sit down, get out a piece of paper and a pen. He said, write down every word I say. He said, do. So I wrote down, do not believe everything you think. And then he hung up on me and I <laughs> sat there and I looked at what I had just written about, do not believe everything you think. And I had to then think about that, right? Because I was buying into old stories that I was broken, that I was unlovable, and they're just lies because it's not true. Everyone here, everyone's story, every every listener right now, your story is valid. You are loved, you are complete, and you are whole. And when we're out there in the darkness, we just don't feel it or think it, but we are loved and we are complete and we are whole. And I'm here to help you change that narrative because it's just I, I was living an adult life based on misinformation. Do you have to, and, and let's say when you start this process, I'm being very, I guess, want to be practical about it. And you start this process, you you are changing the narrative. Do you have to sort of set aside time to always reevaluate what you're doing and how you're doing it? Not just keep on going. Yes. Oh, I changed the narrative. I've you know, I, I'm, I've made progress. Spend some time really, I, I say, always evaluating, I guess, because things do change. And so it's necessary to have that kind of awareness. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. What about, yeah. uh, now we're talking about the holiday, I mean, we did. We don't have that much time left, but okay, we're talking about the holiday season, and people have these narratives, yeah. I guess we only have four minutes left, um, uh, that destroy their their holidays because they're thinking the old stuff and they're acting on it. So specifically, what can you do during, how do you, you know, I mean, I know one of the things, you know, you mentioned is um, toxic families, how you get away from, what, yeah. What, yeah. So how do you do that? 
Yeah, again, it, it, it sounds it sounds easy, and for some people, it can be really, really challenging when they're just beginning this process of, of trying to change the story and trying to make a shift and make a choice. Uh, and 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 you know, there's one of the concepts I talk about is detaching with love, right? Um, <clears throat> you know, there's there's that great Abraham Lincoln quote that people are as happy as they make up their minds to be, and it is a choice. And I was, I, I, one of my brothers called me last night and he's 69 years old and he's arguing with another brother who's 71 years old. And I was laughing because they've had this squabble going on their whole lives. And, <laughs> and, um, but one of them kind of picks the fight and then, and then plays the victim when the other guy, you know, gets angry at him when they talk politics. And I, you know, and I, I said to him, I said, Bobby, I said, you have a closet in your house and there's a gorilla in the closet with a bat. <laughs> And every time you open the closet door, the gorilla hits you over the head with the bat. And you keep acting surprised and you keep playing the victim. I said, but you keep opening the closet door, you know? And so you've got to stop opening the closet door. And I think that that's a metaphor that's very simple that people can then relate to to go, oh, wait a minute. I have a part in this. I'm inviting this unhealthy behavior or these unhealthy people uh, into my life or into my world. And, and again, we have a choice. And we can set healthy boundaries. We can detach with love. When you're going to see your family, don't stay with the family. Get a, get a cheap hotel room. And, and, and you, you have to, I had to monitor the amount of time I spent in the family home because there's a lot of drinking, there's a lot of dysfunction, a lot of, you know, arguments and judgment and shame. And so, okay, I'll go over for a couple hours. But then I'm going to go to the park for the rest of the day, you know, in the middle of the day or what have you, or uh, the library. But I just... I you don't have to come for a week and stay in your own room, in other words? You, that's not, <laughs> exactly. Don't, there are, yeah, we kept exactly. getting going back and forth, not going back and forth, but it's all about choices. And just as you described, yes. and those simple kinds of things, and they seem simple, but they're not. Yeah, stay at a motel, go for dinner, and leave. And you that's setting boundaries. Two minutes left. I could go on and on, but if you, so I want to mention, say the name of the book again. If you say so, you can buy it online, bookstores everywhere. Give us a website we can go to, one minute left, uh, to get more information about yeah, you and the, about the book. Yeah. Sorry, so I'm so sorry. Uh, jamesswigert.com. It's S W E I G E R T. You can buy the book through that. There's also an Audible, which I, I read the book uh, for Audible too, so you can get the author's voice on that. Terrific. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Great talking to you. Thank, thank you for having me, Catherine. I really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 